It's The Chris Grace Show. I'm your host, Chris Grace. My guest this week is the musician Laser the Boy. He created a musical last year called Teaching a Robot to Love that was a huge hit at the Hollywood Fringe. It was nominated for a whole bunch of Broadway World Los Angeles Awards. We talk about that in the interview. And this interview really came at a great time for me because um, Laser is an expert at crowdfunding. He has created projects solo and uh, in his band, The Double Clicks, that have gotten a lot of people just invested in his work. Uh, for example, last year, uh, Teaching a Robot to Love, um, I admired so much Laser's ability to tell the story of the journey of the musical getting to Hollywood Fringe throughout the year, so much so that people were really invested in the success of the show before it was even available to see. Um, you could hear it at one point. They had a, a real impact when they released the cast recording of the show. But um, there were a lot of enthusiastic people when I went to go see the show that had traveled long distances to see the show. Um, and I think a lot of that was Laser's effectiveness in communicating to people the values that the show had. Also, my husband choreographed the show. Uh, he was also up for a Broadway World Award. I'm going to spoil after the uh, interview and after the ramble uh, just how many of those awards they won. Uh, but I've really been struck by how Laser is just like an inspiring person in terms of his creative output and his forthrightness about his identity and how it has um, affected and informed his work, uh, particularly his songwriting. We talk a lot about that um, in this discussion. I will say, in reviewing today's episode, I mean, we recorded this, I think, in December. And I, even from a conversation in December to now, today is February 23rd, um, there are things in this interview, there's a, there's a few, there's like one or two specific moments in this interview that I actually kind of cringe listening to myself. Uh, talk about some of the things that we talk about, but I left them in because, and this is not a, uh, <laughs> of course I'm in the same place again where I find myself like stammering over my words because I don't want to frame this in the sense of like, oh, look at what laser taught me. You know, isn't this great what this person taught me? It's actually honestly more like having a conversation, a genuine, sincere conversation with somebody essentially took like helped myself learn about something it was almost like the context of being able to ask some of these questions out loud to someone who is at least an expert in his own experience um brought me to a place where i just was able to evolve my thinking by that five percent more you know what i mean i think a lot of times we expect people to make these really big um, transformations of thought about a lot of topics that are, you know, in the zeitgeist today. Um, but if you're part of a marginalized group, I think what you probably already know that maybe you don't know if you're not, um, is that a lot of this just comes from like connecting with somebody um, on a human to human personal level that isn't about, hey, what... Uh, persuasive soundbite can I give you? What's uh, some rational argument I can give you? Um, part of it is just talking to people. 
And that's really what this podcast is about. And that's why I'm so um, grateful to Laser for taking the time to come onto the show today. Uh, as always, you can email me at podcast at chrisgrace.com. Please join the community at club.chrisgrace.com. I'd love to ha- uh, have you there to discuss the episode or any of the other ones. And um, I'll see you after the discussion. In the meantime, please enjoy my conversation with Laser the Boy. I'm happy to welcome to the show, Laser Weber. Laser, thank you for being on the Chris Gray Show. Oh my God, it's an absolute honor. I'm so excited. I'm very excited. Um, I got to sort of by proxy uh, experience the laser vibe because my <laughs> husband uh, choreographed uh, Teaching a Robot to Love this Absolutely past Absolutely wonderful husband. Yeah. The best. The best. Uh, yeah. And I have been stumping for votes on the Broadway Thank World you. Regional Awards. <laughs> Thank you. I think we're doing pretty well. We're up against, like, it, it's funny because, I mean, obviously the Broadway World Awards, like their main goal is to get a bunch of people to go to their website and view all of the, the horrible, like, it's so many ads on the page. Like, that's the whole thing, right? So that voting is open so long. <laughs> so it's been these waves of, like, We've sent out an email, but then the people from Legally Blonde are like, oh, we're not winning anymore. So they send out an email. And I'm like, okay, well, now we have to wait for the last minute to send out. Because there's like one girl who was on American Idol who seems very lovely, who's like, I want to win Best Actress in a Musical. It's like, it's like, and it's like, that's great. I mean, I, I don't know. We we want to win awards too for our own reasons, because then we'll be able to do more with the show. But it's it's very funny. Like, it feels... It feels like it's not even a popularity contest. It's like very like strategic. <laughs> like, yeah, it, it feels like a, it feels like an eBay auction at the moment. Exactly, it's exactly an eBay auction. <laughs> it's like okay, well, actually, we don't want to be winning right now because then she has time to make a TikTok. <laughs> right, right, exactly. So yeah, uh, right now I believe uh, Tartle, as people call it. Oh yeah. Uh, or at least I, in my house, that's what I call it. That's what I call it. Uh, is, so, I mean, this podcast won't be out till January, so we'll know by then. But it uh-huh. is a kind of funny thing where these are these regional awards that, yeah. you know, I talked to Eric about it. Uh, Eric Michaud, my husband, who's currently in first place for best choreography. Because he's and, the best. And he'll be like, oh, I mean, this, what is this award anyway? Like he... There's a part of him that th- thinks it's silly. But I'm also like, well, yeah, but let's win it so that, like, on your resume, you can put, like... And for for marketing the show in the future, yeah. Exactly. It's like, in a way, it doesn't mean anything. But in a way, it also does because it's like, I mean, this is is a lot of, like, I do marketing for artists as well. And we do things like trying to get people to chart on Billboard and all of this stuff. And it's like, in a way, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are the best album or the best musical. But also, it means that you have enough friends and enough audience who believe in you genuinely that they will vote for you right like and that there are people who saw the show that will vote for it and like if you weren't a kick-ass choreographer and with wonder who is friendly and wonderful to work with then people wouldn't be voting for you and the thing so it does mean something and like showing that off does demonstrate something even though it is just vote people voting on the internet well know? i also think it kind of unveils that like most awards are probably not are a similar level of meaning, you know? Absolutely, yeah. My um, 
I, I am tangentially in, in a lot of two different communities, but like the Grammys, it's so, it's exactly the same thing, right? It's vote for vote. It's like making friends. It's like sending out thousands of, of DMs on the Grammys website. <laughs> yeah. Like, and it's, it's just like people who, who don't care about this genre. Like the, how the Grammys works is that you have, you can only vote for like 10 categories and you're supposed to like vote for things you know about, but it's a lot of like, okay, well, if you vote for me in the, soundscape category i'll vote for you in the musicals category even though like i haven't listened to any of the other out like it's just who you know i mean this is like this is like last year when i voted in uh, or earlier this year when i voted in the sag political election <laughs> i was like i guess i'm voting am i voting for fran drescher or am i voting for and i was like i don't know what the and there's a part in the sag election where you're voting for like these i forget what they're called they're they're essentially like city count the equivalent of like councilmen or something and there was like over a hundred nominees for these positions and i was just like uh, i even scanned the list and i was like oh this is my friend i i didn't know they were running for this i'll just sure i'll vote for them i have no idea what the policies are or anything yeah it's just it's just pr campaigns to get the votes and then it's pr campaigns if to having it i mean i guess if you if it's a political position that's actually you do something with it but anyway it's helpful it, it's it's stuff that will eventually like having those things next to your name is what gets you in through the establishment to do stuff which is eventually helpful so there you go yeah i mean so like this year you brought teaching a robot to love to the hollywood fringe mm-hmm. um and this was a this was this an official double clicks uh compositional effort yeah it was a not exactly so the double clicks is a band that i've had for um over 10 years with my sister uh aubrey who lives up in portland oregon i live in la um the the teaching robot to love was was kind of a double clicks project um all, all of the double click stuff has been it's 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 collaborative but i write the lyrics and most of the music and and we perform it together and she does a lot of the production so that's basically what would happen with the teaching a robot to love musical as well you know i wrote the songs also with aaron wilson wrote a lot of the songs with me an incredible uh uh music director for a lot of uh shows uh, music town. director for magic to do my improv group what I just one of my favorite things to watch in the world. Um, I told you I was going to try to keep from like geeking out. <laughs> when I moved to LA, I went and saw a Magic to Do show, and I was like, "This is everything I ever want to see or be in my entire life." Like you guys are just incredible, and it's just magic. It's like literally magic. It's just like <laughs> the greatest thing in the world, and the way y'all do it is like anyway. Um, but yeah, so so Aubrey is not officially part of Teaching Robot to Love, but she helped produce the record. Um, and the double clicks as a unit have kind of taken pause as she's like doing other stuff now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a show that mostly me and Aaron wrote. Gotcha. So, um, it, along the lines of marketing, like one thing that was really impressive to me, sort of viewing it from a little bit of a distance was that, I mean, I've produced stuff at Edinburgh Fringe and, to be honest, like the creative part of producing shows for fringes is like not necessarily the hard part. <laughs> um, and it seemed like you were able to generate so much momentum for the show um, that it was like selling very well. But also, I think you guys were selling like live the uh, streams or you were selling streaming viewing of it as well, which seemed to be doing very well. And that was um, I mean, that's not an easy code to crack for for independent artists. Yeah, I've 
Um, online stuff, online audiences is my, I think probably my big USP as a human. Um, and, uh, and that's and, the, uh, that's the port that you plug things into charge. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> unique setting. So <laughs> unique, point. wait, what is it? Unique selling, unique selling point. Um, it's gotcha. a stupid joke anyway um but the, yeah we we i think we had more people watching online every show than in person i mean it was a small theater so a 50 seat or 49 seat theater but um yeah with a lot of those are double clicks fans people who had backed the kickstarter for the album or people who had backed um we did a seed and spark to get it to fringe it's so musicals are so gosh darn expensive um but they had they had really helped out, you know, the the album charted on Billboard, like I said, and like just kind of had this momentum of like, we're out there on TikTok, we're making music videos, we're doing this stuff so that people online were really excited about the show also, which is um which has been really, really fun. Yeah, I mean I went to see it and there was a, at least one person had flown from Across yeah. the country to come see the show. Yeah, people came in from New York and Kentucky and and stuff to come see it. Which yeah, is- I mean, I was expecting to get comps to see a bunch of 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 nights of this show because most fringe shows have lots of comps available. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we probably no. should have done some more no, it's fine. theater or something. It's I'm fine. sorry, Chris. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, and like, how did you feel about you know, let's say spring of this year before it exists at Hollywood fringe from there to closing night of Hollywood fringe. How did you feel in terms of how close did it come to your vision? Oh my God. I mean, it was amazing. So I've spent, um, you know, a lot of time in my band, you know, 10 years, like writing song stuff. And even to write a song that another person has to sing has always been terrifying for me. Like, like I just do my stupid little sh- sh- stuff and, and like, whatever, like, I'm, I'm sorry to anybody who has to listen to it. Right. You know, just the artistic self-hatred stuff and, and getting this musical together. I really, I worked really hard. Like nothing is going to be lazy. Nothing is going to be like, I you know, because I'm going to have to watch it so many times and other people are going to have to sing this, putting it up on stage, like was incredible because it's like people taking this thing you've made and turning it. And it's not like, you know, I feel embarrassed. It's like, I feel like so lucky and people are taking it to places I never imagined, you know, and like adding all of these jokes and like, fuck the freaking choreography is so funny. And it's so like things I just had no idea. Right. And as I didn't direct it, I didn't act in, I didn't choreograph it and all of these things I never, so it was way better than I ever could have imagined. That's amazing. I think Rob Warner signed my playbill when I saw it. Yes, he did. Mid show. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, I love him. That was really funny. Uh, and also now, like the last couple months, I occasionally will just go to Eric and be like, Advornado. <laughs> um, these are my like uh, impromptu uh, auditions to be like understudy for the next run. Oh, great. Perfect. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. I. <laughs> There's not uh, a lot of roles for cis dudes in the show, but, you know, I'll uh, you'll be you'll be right up there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll be I'll be the swing. Yeah. Uh, and I'm happy to never go on. <laughs> Actually, that's perfect for me. I love theater yeah. where I don't have to actually perform. Um, <laughs> I just want to be invited. And yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, did you intend this show from the beginning to talk about identity or was it a thing that came as you developed it? 
That's a really good question. Um, so the the initial pitch of the show was a lot more about um if people haven't seen it, it's a show about a girl who creates this um AI who eventually wants a human body and then um that uh is a metaphor for like the trans experience. They change their body and then their, you know, mom, quote, the creator, is not super accepting of that and it's it's kind of about those relationships. Um, it, it, it started more as a show about Mary, the creator and about how, about trying to teach somebody to be a human when you yourself don't know how to be a human, (laughs) which, which it still is that like kind of the, you know, the neurodivergent brain of like how, how, how I analyze the world. Right. And how I really wish in a lot of ways I was a brain in a box because be having a human body and having to interact with other humans is so hard. Um, and that was the the initial concept of the show. Um, but as I was writing it, and during I was writing it during the pandemic, and and um, I was going through a transition. I got top surgery, and I was you know coming out. I, I was I identified as non-binary for four years before I came out as a trans man, and and it you know I have been very lucky with um, the amount my family and friends have accepted me and and stuff but it's also it is a i've had a few people uh where it has been a challenge and and those songs started coming out through this robot um so it eventually that became the part of the show that was most exciting to me um you know there are a lot of things in the show that i really like like i really like the the weird mad scientist lesbians and i like the you know um I, I like the concept of, of people trying to make friends when they don't understand how humans work. And, and also there's a lot of anti-capitalism stuff and robots and, and cheese and hedgehogs. But the, 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 the narrative of this trans person who, or robot who like, is like, well, this is who I am now. I'm finally happy with who I am. And then looking back to, you know, their partner, their family, and that person is grieving or, like this is a loss for me and it's like I don't understand that like I would I cannot and this is it's you know fundamentally something I try to empathize with but like I can't understand not just being so happy with somebody finding who they are and being oh, able I to see. fulfill that you know that's interesting because they're probably grieving more like an image of the person that they had right grieving something that to me never existed Right. Right, right, right. To me was a mask or to me was like um, something that wasn't real, but it's very, it's very, that's a very real situation that like kids and parents go through. Like I've lost my son and it's like, no, you've always had a daughter who was in a crappy position, you know, but you thought you had a son, you know, that kind of stuff. Or, and, and as myself, as like, I'm a bisexual, if I had, a, you know, I had a partner who had a really hard time with my transition. I don't get that because I'm like, I'm equally happy. You're a girl, you're a boy. I just love your brain. But if you're a person who's only attracted to one gender and then you're like, oh, this person is not who I thought they were, um, that can be really hard. Or it can be hard to, I mean, it's hard in any situation to have a person who's changing um, and you don't know how you fit into their life. Anymore. I mean, I wonder if some of that also has to do with like, you know, um, we tend to perceive relationships as being like, we have to be together like forever. Right. And it might just be like, maybe you were a good partner for this person 
when they were a guy mm. and then seasons change, people change and you I, know yeah. you 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 can find someone else as opposed to sort of I mean, I feel like it never is a good thing to try to hold on to an image of somebody from before. Yeah. As opposed to how they are today in front of you. Absolutely. I think that's so that's the thing that especially our society and our like fairy tales and stuff was like always like it has to be a happily ever after and it has to be these things, but like something isn't a failure just because it ends. Like that's it's very real. Well, also, if you were the person that supported um, a partner that got mm. them to the point that they then found a more comfortable life for themselves, yeah. then you were like a big part of them being happy. Yeah. It might just not be like a thing where you're going to be there 24-7 for the rest of their lives because you might have different needs. But it wasn't like, you know, you might have been part of the support system that like let somebody get to that point. Yeah. This is like there's a. Um, did you watch Orange Is the New Black? Or I did. I love Orange is the New Black, uh, even though it became much maligned after a certain point. Yeah, I, I, I didn't watch all of it, but I know the narrative, like of Laverne Cox's character, of like. Yeah. There's a lot, a lot of narratives that have to do with trans folks. Are like, are you picking yourself over your family? Are you picking yourself over your partner or your kids because you are transitioning? You know, and they that was definitely what they were playing with with that character was like if you had just stayed in the assigned gender right and just um live this life then you everything would have been fine and you could have silently been a good dad or you could have been a good partner right whereas like you're being so selfish to have to go and live your life as this you know as a woman but like there is something that I think is missing. And one of the things that I really wanted to do with this story of like just having a queer narrative that's just freaking happy. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like there's there's something about and it's really hard to express in art of like coming out, being able to finally live the life you want and love the people you want is just so fundamentally joyful. And it's it's there are conflicts along the way and, and, you know, the people yell words at me on the sidewalk or whatever, but like at the same time, like, but I myself on the inside, am finally happy with who I am. And that's, I don't think that's selfish. It's something that everybody else already has. So. Yeah. I also think, I mean, I'm always just like, if you got to pick between yourself and your family, just like pick yourself. Like, <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I have yeah. no romance about that, <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, you know what was a bummer was we were watching uh, A League of Their Own oh. this year, which I love. It's a great, great show. I really liked it. Uh, but they were in a bar at one point, and I was just like a you know speakeasy bar, mm. and I was like, you know, what'd be cool is if they just found this bar, had a drink, and just went home. Yep. You know, like it was just like. Like I just saw the inheritance at the Geffen and I was like, you know what? Like not every time a guy has a threesome, does he have to get AIDS? <laughs> you know, like there's a, you know, a lot of like gay life at least is like a lot of this shit is just fun. It's like fun to go to a gay bar, <laughs> Absolutely. you know, Absolutely. but like it's, but I mean, heaven forfend you go to a gay bar cause the cops are going to get you. <laughs> That's the night they raid the bar. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, I agree. Like League of Their Own had a lot of really joyful, Yes, it did have a lot of stuff. Yeah. And the freaking, like, there were two, like, the two trans mask characters, and one of them decides to 
go as he him and one of them is just like hey i'm just like freaking butch and it's dope like having that much representation was just like incredible like you never see that kind of stuff but yeah it is like what if they just went and rosie o'donnell was there and they had a great time and then everybody went home and yeah they all kissed and everybody was happy <laughs> i mean you, you know what like raid them the third time they go to the bar or something like that sure 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 because there's also the element of like as soon as someone steps into a, a world of that they're comfortable in it immediately gets snatched away um but uh actually it's interesting that you bring up orange is the new black because in terms of representation I, what i loved about Orange is the New Black is that there were these character types that – because it's a, a women's prison and there's a lot of mm. – that show has so many characters in it. They would have like um, like five pretty significant Latina characters, um, four significant black characters. Yeah. Uh, and to me, I was like, oh, I bet these actors have all competed with each other for the same role. Right. So in an old show, there'd be one black character, one Latina mm. character, one like, 11 white characters. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but that but there would a, be a tall brunette black, uh, white character and yes, a tall right. blonde white character. Like they're very different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't understand. But it's a way of showing yeah. – uh, it's another way of showing diversity in that if you have three characters that are the same race, even mm. – vaguely similar silhouettes mm -hmm. but they're not the same person yeah. then that's another way of showing diversity just like you're saying with like you can have yeah. two trans mask characters and one and they have different relationships to their pronouns let's say yeah um but yeah like i uh i do think that they i feel like a lot of people who have um uh maybe like creative relationships or like relationships to the world like through their head do mm -hmm. have that sort of brain in a box thing that you're talking about yeah. where it's like my body is just a thing to carry my brain around to right. interact with the world. <laughs> yeah. It's um, exactly. It's, it's something I think about a lot. And that's why the musical itself has a brain in a box is like a big plot point. Um, and like everybody gets to define their relationship to a brain in a box. And I think it's very fun for me <laughs> like to yeah. think about that. Yeah. Um, th there's something, you know, you also mentioned that you've, you, you you like literally have gone through a transition in the sense of like uh you have had different pronouns yeah. over a over a like couple of years period mm -hmm. and i was wondering when you're in in that process mm -hmm. does it feel like i've got this i've got this clear idea of where i want to where i want to go and i'm trying to get there or does it feel like Okay, I I'm trying to get closer, but I'm not totally sure. Okay, this direction feels better. This mm -hmm. direction feels worse. Is it? How does that feel to be in that journey? That's such a good question, and I think a lot of people have different relationships to what I'm gonna what I'm gonna say, which I'm not entirely sure is your question. But like to me, for example, I w I identified as non-binary, and I use they them pronouns for four years, and to me that was a transitionary step from identifying as a woman to identifying as a man. Although at the time I didn't know that it was a transition step. Like I, at the time I was like, I know that gender is not a thing I like. Right. And my relationship with gender is not good. Um, and when I came out as non-binary, it was so joyful to me. I was just like, I, I didn't know it was an option. And then as soon as I found out it was an option and then started playing with that, I was like, Oh wow, this is great because just to wake up every day and not have to put on 
the gender, basically, mm-hmm. you know, not even like the clothes or the trappings of it, but just not have to, you know, we, there's so much of what we do every day that is gender that we don't even really realize of like how you walk and how you decide who's going to make lunch mm-hmm. and how you just like how you interact in a group and like all of these things that you just, um, that are just, that are gender for one reason or another and, and having, being able to, to myself, not have that anymore was incredible. Um, and that, that process involved, you know, the, what they call the big chop and like taking my hair off and stop stopping wearing skirts and, you know, just doing eyeliner in like a cool, sexy way. Mm -hmm. And like, all you know, and that for me, that was totally fine for a while. And then when I got out of a relationship where I was in a relationship with someone who was very scared of me becoming a man, um, and, and that ended and I realized like, actually, oh, I've been held back by that fear of this relationship ending, but it ended anyway because of situations beyond my control. I was like, oh, okay, well now I am here. And um, and then I, I was like, actually, this is, this is a thing I could do. And it... it I don't know if you have this experience with some things in your life, but there are some things that you want so bad that you don't believe you can have them. It's like, well, obviously if I could do that, I'd do it, but it's impossible because I want it too much. Like, obviously I, if I could be an actor, I would be an actor, but I can't be an actor like that. That would be, and that's impossible. That's not a thing. Like I've never seen anybody do that. Who seems like me, you know? Yeah. Anyway, that that's kind of happened. What happened with me with, with masculinity of like, you know, I was binding, I was, you know, I eventually got a, a, a lesser version of top surgery, like a reduction and stuff. And I was like, the more I do this, the more it feels good. But I just don't think I could ever be a man because no one would ever believe me or, you know, like eaten however much I am a, an, a, you know, the quote unquote ally of trans people and like, uh, you know, believe them and everything is like, yeah, all of them are le- are legit and you know, valid, but not me, like, not me. Like I would be fake. Right. Cause there's so much internalized about that. Well, it's interesting. Cause I feel like, yeah. um, uh, like a gender identity situation mixed with like imposter syndrome. Oh, it's so, <laughs> See, it's so that much. Seems very fraught. Yeah. Um, anyway, so for me, it just didn't, it didn't happen. And in, in for a while, and then this year, um, I was like, actually I could do that. It was great. And, um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm dating a trans person now, which is really amazing. Like to have people in your corner who just like, we remind each other that we're valid and mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. Oh, you're, um, you're like, Oh, you're a valid human being. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> then I must be, if you are, then I am. And I say, <laughs> right. I know that you are. Um, so I've been, I've been on testosterone for a while and I've, you know, like got a complete top surgery and like, it's just fucking cool and it feels mm-hmm. great. I know that there are people who, I mean, obviously there are people who are non-binary and that is their identity and that's who they are or agender or gender fluid where neither one of the binaries uh, genders fit with them. Um, and that's just their permanent existence. And that's flipping valid and amazing. And that was not my situation, but that was, that, that is something that is um, totally legit. And there are also people who, when they enter a non-binary identity, they are, doing it like I know several people who have done that like doing it intentionally as a as a transitionary step like I know I'm not you know a girl but I don't feel like I have earned the title of man yet so I'm gonna be doing some transition stuff and like that's people's total right to to decide for themselves when they feel like they they have a goal in mind and they want to 
hit it when they get a point. So. Yeah, I mean, I feel like so so much of this feels like what the only thing you can sort of interrogate about the situations for people is like, how do you feel when you make these choices and, and you're free to like be be non-binary and then say you're going back to the gender you were at before. Like it's so like, I think one of those things that people don't understand, especially people who like are super happy with all of the, the labels that they're given um, is like labels just exist to help you right? Like, it doesn't hurt anybody if you're like, I'm bisexual. Actually, I'm pansexual. Actually, I think I'm a lesbian. Actually, I think I might be a straight man. Like, all of those things, like, and you can change however you want. Like, those labels, nothing is inherently real about language, right? And that's what labels are. So, like, whatever actions you need to take to feel genuine to what is you is it's all fine it's all freaking fine and it doesn't mean you're not gay if you sleep with a woman it doesn't mean you're not you know, like it doesn't mean you're not anything like it's fine it's all great it's for you using tools having needs community technology and cheese everybody lives as to death we all proceed Everybody wants a friend And everybody believes What makes us who we are If you'll allow Together We can teach this robot how Having so much to be thankful for I, the, the thing that I am still developing my thoughts about um are that i i i do want to be aware sometimes of of having discussions about identity sort of take space away from for example like people of color Mm. uh trans people of color non-binary people of color sometimes i feel that's the only thing i think sometimes and i i i'm aware that i'm sort of in in my thoughts about this are sort of evolving, but sometimes I have a feeling in me that's like, when you, when we talk about like, Hey, it's no big deal to like adopt these labels or that. I generally agree. Sometimes I occasionally feel like, man, I feel like this, um, such and such as a person that they just changed how they're they're They want to be addressed or not pronounced, but like what they're, identity is and it felt like a way to center themselves at a moment when for example like a trans person of color was being abused or something oh. like that. you know what i mean like um it's almost and 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 it's a very it's a rare situation but there are times occasionally where i'm like i want to feel like like it's okay sometimes to be an ally as opposed to like hopping right in the center of something and, and it's just something i'm conscious of sometimes because i know that mm-hmm. the situation for Uh, Like, honestly, specifically, like for black people that are queer, their challenges are very different than even mine. I mean, I'm Asian, but like I don't pretend that my challenges as being an Asian gay person are anywhere near what like a black trans person has to deal with. Right. Um, And also we're talking about in some ways we're talking about like technologies that cost money. Yeah. You know, Um, and I always worry about like access for these kinds of 
yeah, it's, I mean, it's very classist, very racist. I mean, it's the same, like, I, you know, in any community, there are like, you could be a narcissist in the trans community. Like there's yeah, 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 a yeah. problematic racist. Well, you know, actually, yeah, all... absolutely. Actually. I mean, I, that should be, that should be what I tell myself because really it's yeah. like, there's no, um, <laughs> there's no rule that like a trans person can't be an asshole. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like, it's like that. Like sometimes it's like, you know what? It's in some ways it's good that there are finally bad gay rom-coms. Cause you know, oh, there just yeah. haven't been enough gay rom-coms for there to be both good and bad ones, you know, or yes. like, we can have a lesbian movie that is just okay and that's fine and then we'll just keep making more and like that's you know that kind of stuff. that's the thing is like and, and and this is a good now i can debate with myself from 2 minutes ago which is like yeah the mistake i think is to say like this person's an asshole and it's because of their identity yeah. they're an asshole because of their behavior <laughs> their, yeah, and their actions ass- like yeah. some people just like attention and that's this is like one of the things that you know people a lot of times are like um, very problematic people are like, well, people just change their gender because they want attention or, you know, non-binary is just like an attention. Like anything. It's like, don't get me wrong. I'm a performer because I want attention. I'm trans mm-hmm. because I'm trans. Mm-hmm. I am very much an attention whore, but that's why I'm a musician. Like my job is to have people look at me and laugh. Like that's what I want, but that's not because I'm trans and that's not why i'm trans i could do that as a cis person like like this is these are different things there are very quiet trans people who do not want you to look at them <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> uh not all trans people have kickstarter uh yeah exactly uh, campaigns. <laughs> that would be a great stereotype of like yeah you know uh non-binary people have all they they all have patreons yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh trans masks are all on coffee.com and then, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, trans women do yeah I mean, it's us it's we're all it's just it's a huge big enough population that there are people who do all kinds of stuff so well i you know and the other thing i was curious about with you were you used they them pronouns for a while mm-hmm. um I I'm curious from the like just the pure like marketing perspective. Oh yeah. A, as a person who, I mean, I feel like you must have been thinking about your identity in so many ways. But then there's also the what is my branding identity as an artist? Yeah. Uh, how do those things interact? Because you will con- people will come to you con- to consult for marketing and Kickstarter yeah. advice and all that stuff. I mean, a certain point. Uh, I don't know. I don't have like a good answer. Like before this call, we had the conversation that I've had with every person I've talked to with the past year, which is what's your last name? And it's like, I don't know. Like, and that's just, <laughs> um, I like that's, I names and identity are really hard for me already just because I don't perceive myself as a human being. Um, but it's, it's just like, I don't know. I'm me and you're you and we'll just do that. Um, pronouns have been, it's interesting. Like, hasn't been a I, I did a big thing when I came out as non-binary mostly just because it was like I knew we had a lot of trans fans and it was like let's my, my band and like I would like to let people know I'm not ashamed of this and that this is who I am and this is a way to communicate it to people and like I'm happy to talk about it when I came out as trans mask I just kind of dropped a picture and was like this is who I am <laughs> right? <laughs> right. when I work with folks it depends on like I'll, I have my pronouns around, they're up. I don't, I don't do like a big like, hey everybody, welcome to my new name thing. Like I, mm-hmm. and my new pronouns. 
and it depends on who I work with, whether I'm going to correct people. Like, right. I certainly don't like people who misgender me, and I feel like I have a right to dislike them privately. But if they're paying me, I'll still work with them. If they <laughs> <me>. <laughs> Boy, those uh, ethical standards lasted a real long until the until the PayPal yeah. came in. <laughs> Listen, no, I'm no, not, I totally get that. <laughs> I, I, it's like I the it's more it's not like honestly, it's just the burden of education, and like I don't want to have these conversations with with people who. D- if I'm the first trans person you met, I hope all you know is that person. Yo, yeah, she was trans. I think she used he, him, and uh, she was nice. Like that's all I need them to know about me. And then, like maybe their grandchild eventually someday will be like, "Do you mean he? Yeah, sounds like they're he." And they're <laughs> well, like, oh. I mean, I worked for six years as a web developer in New York City and never talked to anyone about me being gay. And I wasn't like in the closet. I just didn't want to have that. I was also like, I don't really owe you any discussions about my life. <laughs> I didn't, honestly, I didn't like any of them enough to have that conversation. That's exactly it. It's just like, I don't like you enough to make your, you a better person. Um, it doesn't happen a ton. And, and I, I should be saying, like, as we are doing continual caveats, um, I'm a dude and there is, I have infinite privilege over trans women. Um, and cis women in a lot of situations of like, it's pretty, comparatively easy for me to pass and the you know just the level of just base level violence and hatred i get is a lot less just because trans men are generally kind of invisible um but that's that's the life i live you know um what has that been like to see male privilege from the inside oh my god chris i could talk about this for hours and i (laughs) want to because one of so male privileges, I mean, I think if I didn't have fr- like fruity hair, it would be a little bit different because right now I definitely come off as queer, but um, it's, it's cool. It's great. It, it, it manifests in like dating was a lot more expensive when I was dating girls. Um, but also like, um, I feel like you just, you're just kind of more invisible, which in a lot of ways is nice. Like, it's just like, whatever people are like, they assume you know what you're doing and they assume that you're going to figure it out, which mm-hmm. is great. You you get a base assumption of like competence and, exactly. and, and a like, oh, you're saying something, I will listen to you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the wildest part is watching myself change. Uh-huh. Like, because I definitely see myself like, um, I keep saying this to my girlfriend, like, I am so sorry. I keep assuming you're stupid because you're a woman. <laughs> and like, I, it is just definitely a thing in my head. Like, it's just, yeah. and, and now that I'm on testosterone, holy cow, Chris, that's a hell of a drug. Mm-hmm. I, I know you've probably been on it your whole life. I've been on it recently. Like, I mean, I went, I've gone through periods where I was like, I tested low for it and oh, gotcha. little chewy. So you did, you did some, you did some bonus stuff. Yeah. yeah. But just like to have that be a passive thing. Like, I don't know how cis dudes get <laughs> through life. Like it is crazy. I just texted my friend. I was texting a friend the other day. I'm like, I want to talk to you about how you go through the world and don't just stare at butts all day and get in trouble. <laughs> and they were like, this is what sunglasses are for. And I'm like, oh, gotcha. Oh okay, gosh. they should hand that out with tes- the vials of testosterone. That's good information. But, like, the difference is I never really 
bought in because of, I mean, part of it was, you know, I only had ever lived one, you know, hormonal experience, but also my, my relationship with gender has always been like really hating gender roles and all this. Now that I'm on the other side and I'm in a gender role I like, it is flipping wild. Mm. Like it is just like, absolutely. I have this like little guy in my head who I call Chet, who's like, He's just a bad guy and he just lives there (laughs) and he's got bad thoughts and bad ideas and not a lot driving him. You know, it's just like, wow, this is. So what you're saying is now you listen to Joe Rogan and. uh... Yeah, (laughs) I do. I have, I'm probably not going to do it. Everybody has a podcast idea, but I want to, I want to start a podcast called the other man show. (laughs) Or <laughs> just talk about masculinity. Uh, but it's just like, because, yeah, jo- I get it. I get where Joe Rogan is coming from. If you have, uh, if you do not examine the thoughts that happen in your head and you don't go like, oh, I don't have to believe everything I think or every pop thought that pops in my head and that some of those might be a problem that are coming from, you know, biology. Um, yeah, I could see where that would lead you down a road. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, um, um, if you're coming from a place where, like, you you've, if you're a cis person that hormones have been influential on your thought processes since you were born, but you didn't ever deconstruct that relationship, where you're just thinking like these are just my thoughts, like this is my identity, and whatever I'm thinking is what I. And you know what I mean? Like even when I took the little bit of like supplemental testosterone, it was like, oh, I do feel like it's affecting me. You know, um, it's not there, – there is definitely a separation between things I can rationally think and things that are like, oh, this is a feeling that turns into a thought that might have started with the level of a hormone in my body <laughs> at one point or another. Isn't that flipping wild? Like the science of our brains is just like, Oh no. Like, well, yeah. And it also, I think is like, uh, we're probably not the sort of like super brilliant in- intellectual <laughs> Einsteins that we think we are. No. And that's, that's another thing I think about a lot is like people who believe like, you know, like the Spock versus Kirk, like some people are really logical and some people are really emotional. It's like, no, you think you're logical because the emotions you have, you you don't believe are attached. The, the thoughts you have, you don't believe are attached to emotions, but they are. They are attached to emotions. You just have prioritized them in a way that doesn't feel emotional to you. So, yeah. and a lot of that is why we listen to men instead of women because women say things in like a compassionate way or like feel thing say things in like a feelings way. It was like men's like no this way. And it's like. No, that's just that's just coming from your balls. It doesn't mean that it's right. It's just like because you you believe it with such authority that you think that it's a thought instead of a feeling, which are exactly the same. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. Um, <laughs> also, another fascinating thing that you did recently was on. I, I think this was on the Double Clicks Facebook page, but mm-hmm. you tracked a vocal with yourself. Oh yeah, from ten years ago. Yeah. Um and. So this is a it's a it's a recording from ten years ago, right? So, yeah. uh, but I'm assuming your voice is deeper now. Yes. Um, what has it been like to sing as yeah. you go through this? It's been great. It's f- really weird. I've always had a really weird relationship with my voice, um, because um, I didn't do a lot of vocal training, and I uh, it's just kind of what it is. Um, 
But as soon as I started testosterone, I knew that I needed to do vocal training because you basically, I mean, it's just like your voice dropping as a kid, right? Mm. Like, Wait, it means you're getting kicked out of Menudo at this I'm point. I'm getting kicked out of Menudo. <laughs> and it's been hard, but I'm in therapy. Um, it, it, it is a, a it's a, and, and if you don't like exercise it and stuff, you can kind of mess up your vocal range. And mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure I maintained as much as I could. Um, but yeah, my voice has dropped to the point where I can just sing my old songs just a fully an octave down. Whoa. And that's where my range is, which is so cool. It's yeah. so cool. And I love the way it sounds now. I've always been like, I listen to it and I listen to my songs and I'm like, wow, why, why is that? That's not how I sound in my head. In my, I sound, and I know everybody has that, but it's like, I sound so high when I'm singing. Right. It's, it's so high, such a high pitch. But and, do you have access to like resonances that you didn't before? In terms of even just like rumbling in your chest kind of, you know? <laughs> yeah. And that's the part of it that you train mm-hmm. um, because, um, yeah, when you go into vocal training and like, and, and trans women do vocal training too, and they don't have a neck, like estrogen doesn't change your voice. You can't go the other direction. Um, but it's all about like where you are speaking from, right? Mm-hmm. And how you decide where you're talking from. And, um, and that going into uh bringing that into um um singing is well i mean makes it a lot easier to think about i think welcome to the dirty world where they will tell you being strong's not for girls they'll say that your values being easy on the eyes Crush those people to death with your thighs. Men in power aren't who you care about. The city's pain stops when you bring the truth out. Though your sisters will tell you mankind can't be saved. You know that inside the weak can be brave. And you're not a quitter. You still believe the truth's in your lasso, your heart's on your sleeve. When we're drowning in darkness, you'll save us all from going under. And we'll watch you in wonder. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny how, like, you know, we're talking before about how the how hormones might affect your thought processes. And then we're also talking about, to a certain degree, like you mentioning that just is like, so much of your like vocal relationship to the world is genderized. Um, it's so gendery. And, and also, um, one of the things that we learn in vocal training is like, the more you, the, the really, the, how you hold your mouth, right? Mm. But basically that means if you're smiling, you sound and look more feminine. And if you're frowning. So, I mean, that's probably why society hates it when women frown. But, like, I will pass as a man if I walk around frowning. And if I walk around smiling, people will call me ma'am. Same outfit, same day, same amount of, like, little weird, scruffy, almost invisible facial hair. Like, it's it's so wild. (laughs) Uh, But if you're a woman and you frown, people are like, what's the problem? (laughs) Well, we hate masculine women. We We hate people who don't fit into the binary that we've expected right like it's so weird yeah i was just thinking the other day about um uh how 
in a in a, like sort of traditional gender roles, and I'll just mm-hmm. say in America because I can't really speak to other countries, but sure. you know, what, uh, for girls and women in America, there is this like first order um, evaluation, which is like, how fuckable are you? Exactly. And like, do you fit into my world as someone that I can have sex with? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then all of the other things you might have value as a person cascade off of that. But for a lot of people, that's like they're a first level relationship to other people. And, mm-hmm. and for men, it's not that like, it's, I mean, that is a factor sometimes, but often it's not. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's how much, like what job do you have or whatever, but there, but it's really not one thing for the men. Um, and I was thinking how it would be like if all the men were evaluated by, can you dunk a basketball? <laughs> and there would be some guys that can easily do it. Yeah. There'd be a big group of guys that could train to dunk a basketball. Yeah. And then there'd be some people that like, there's no way I'm ever going to dunk a basketball. And that mm-hmm. if, if every man was evaluated, like how, how much they, you wanted to be their friend, whether they could dunk a basketball, yeah. it's like this just, it's people being shepherded into a standard that like they didn't sign up for. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and that's, that's one of the things that makes it hard to know whether you're a trans man or you just hate the world <laughs> <laughs> or both. Yeah. Right. It's just like, um, well, I don't want to be perceived as a woman because it sucks to be perceived as a woman, but yeah. somebody, some people do like it. And, and, and some people like probably don't like that their entire value is boiled down to their appearance. Um, but like, yeah, like it's a <laughs> it's a real weird kind of um it's a difficult it's a difficult thing to figure out. Yeah, do you find uh are you writing so oh, first of all like what are you working on now in terms of music yeah. and and is this affecting like the stuff you're creating? Oh, yeah. I mean, I I I don't know if I'm going to re- regret it or look back and be like cringe cuz a lot of people are like, yeah, the first 3 years you're trans, that's all you want to talk about and then you just uh-huh. want to whatever. But also, it's I've always talked about whatever I'm going through, so there you go. Right now, I am working on what may be a musical or just sort of a little show um based on this incredible book called Female Husbands, hmm. which is about um, basically 1700s to in 1800s, pretty much U S and UK. Um, this concept of the female husband, which were, which is just the phrase that like newspapers used when they discovered basically quote unquote women wearing men's clothing who married women. Oh. So it's, it's, you know, you could call them, some of them are lesbians who just decided to dress like men so that they could marry a woman. Some like you, we don't know, obviously, right? In retrospect, some right. of them trans mask people. Somebody who is is a man and identifies as a man. People are non-binary, but it's it's so fascinating because it's this world of like, yes, I don't want to be a woman so I can get a job so that I can marry a woman, or maybe just because I'm not a woman and I want to be a dude. But the stories are amazing. Mm. Um, and uh, and it's really cool. There's like the story of the first the first transsexual gender confirming surgery, which happened in 1918. This guy named Alan Hart who became a doctor and then got uh, um, a hysterectomy and like then just went stealth. Like he was like he could have been like this incredible, like the first female doctor who 
graduated from University of Oregon and like all this stuff. And he's like, actually, no, bye. I'm putting on a jacket, smoking a pipe, and I'm out of here. And <laughs> just the ways that the, the book goes into like the ways that people were able to pass as men. And a lot of it's like, well, he seemed like a dude because he smoked a cigar. So, and that's not a thing women do. So, obviously, it's a man. <laughs> and that holds true to this day. <laughs> to this day. Um, uh, I mean, it sounds like, like a little song cycle might be coming out of this. Yeah, exactly. I had to Google what a song cycle was. So that's <laughs> what, um, it's they people would write these like fantastical accounts based on the newspaper stories and release them like they were documentary, mm-hmm. like like real things. Um, and there's this story of this guy named Samuel Bundy, who was a sailor. And when he got caught, they were like, wait, and, you know, they arrest them. And a lot of times when people are arrested or die, mm. that's when they find out that they're uh, their genitals are different than what people expected, oh, right? Because okay. they strip search them or whatever. Um, and they found him and they were like, wait, you're a woman. He's like, no, I wasn't. Um, uh, shark ate my penis. <laughs> Which is my absolute favorite thing. And it's like, no, dude, no, dude, I'm not secretly a girl. Uh, shark ate my penis. I think that and, should be the name of your production company. Right? I, <laughs> I am in love with Samuel. Like, this probably is prophetic, but like, the other thing of his account is that when he was in jail, 13 different women he had courted visited him. Which is just like flipping goals, man. Like, wow. get it. Like, it's great. And yeah, and a lot of it is this, like, these stories of, like, queer love that were kind of erased. Like, a lot of trans mask history is erased, and part of it is the privilege of being able to be invisible. But, like, mm-hmm. um you know, there are the kind of these beautiful stories of people who lived and got married and started a little bar or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, That's amazing. I, I, yeah. This sounds great. Um, something I'm always curious about is, like, what is your sort of, like, work process like? Do you – do you, are you a person that, like, sits down and, you know, you open up logic or whatever and you're like, let me tappy-tap oh, some – Do you, are, are you a person who has, like, a – like a regular practice in no, creation. No, I should. I go through yeah. phases where I'm more productive. I was. I've. I've been a little bit more productive the last couple of months. Yeah. But like a lot of my music related things revolve around like, did I buy a plugin? That's cool. <laughs> then I will spend <laughs> three, three weeks. Yeah, <laughs> basically, I have you to buy a, cool a new plugin to make a to write a, something new. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I don't like. Uh, I think I have to forgive myself for my creative process, but a lot of it is like if I am driving alone, wherever, whenever I can finally make myself be alone with my thoughts and not horribly depressed, I'll come up with a bunch of, you know, ideas, you know, and then follow through with them once I have a deadline. I don't have a regular practice. Mm. Um, but um, yeah, this will be usually I come up with a song idea, do a bunch of brainstorming, turn it into a thing, pick up some instruments, put it together, and. Mm. Yeah, it's it's nothing dramatic or impressive, but <laughs> I mean, you've yeah. but you've produced a lot of great work, so I mean, yeah, I put out like ten albums or something like yeah, that. Yeah, so, so know, there's something working about this process. Yeah, it, it, honestly, the only thing that works for me is deadlines. So, uh huh. Um, and I just want to ask you one more thing, which is about like you you like you said you have helped people sort of figure out their. Kickstarter campaigns and and you had a whole podcast which I recommend people go listen to. Uh, is it called Fan Funded? Fan Funded with Laser, yes. Yes, uh, which is there's a lot of great info there about people if you want to like sort of make your own campaigns or if you if you want to develop support for yourself. But like in 2023, let's say, like what is your thinking about like because here's the thing that I'm facing, which is like 
I I have always felt like this generalist that's like, I don't know what my like narrow cast version of myself is. And I know that everybody's like, you know what? This shouldn't be called the Chris Grace show. This should be called the, uh, the Chris Grace, uh, Napa auto parts replacing halogen headlights in your Kia soul only podcast. Right. 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 You know, and that's just something I've always struggled with because I'm one, I get bored with something narrow and two, a lot of the people that I end or the people that I want to be like are people that aren't narrow cast. Like I don't want to be Joe Rogan, but like the Joe Rogan podcast doesn't have a narrow theme to it. Fresh air with Terry gross doesn't have, you know, and I'm just wondering what your thoughts about this are. I, I am so with you there. Um, I think, um, a lot of the things in my life that have become philosophies have also become songs because then I remember them. <laughs> and I, I have a, I have a song about this and it's, um, and the line is like, you're, you're a unique combination, right? You're the sum of all your parts. And like, you can't, um, I think that when, so you try to, you can't be the best or the most interesting of one thing, but you can be, the best or most interesting of the seven things that combine to make you who you are, mm-hmm. you know, like, and I think the more that you lean into all of that, the more like, but also really lean into the things that you like. Right. Cause people love grabbing onto something specific. Um, like people love like being like, Oh wow, this person is both extremely into, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and musical improv and monstera leaves. Right. Like, and I am into two of those things. I've never met a person who's into both of those things. Like, like that's <laughs> right. What, right. Like, like having the, like leaning into the weirdness of you, like people love enthusiasm and people love genuineness. Mm. And I don't think anybody, I don't, a lot, I, I have consulted with, with many artists does that, you know, over over the years i used to teach a class where we would work on branding and stuff and it's i and everybody comes in with this exact it's like i don't know what to focus on it's like don't stop focusing just do something Mm -hmm. just do and if you can make something that's that combines like two or three things you're into that's great like if you can you know i i've made a hundred music videos i'm not a filmmaker but i like making crappy music videos (laughs) right um about the like and i'm not a very good you know guitar player but i can if i decide to do like okay i'm okay at guitar i'm okay at making music videos and i've got weird colored hair and i like robots and i'm gay so like let's put all that together and see what comes out of it you know i I don't think you have to pick i mean i just think you have to do it you put all that together and you might win a broadway world regional award (laughs) (laughs) we can just might uh yeah it's funny because you were like oh you know just lean into being enthusiastic and genuine and i'm like Mm -hmm. i have one of those things (laughs) (laughs) well it's not i mean but you like something right like you like there are things that you there are talents that you have and yeah yeah I, i think something i struggle with is sometimes the thing that i like is i like creative problem solving and i like bouncing off of stuff so like i mean i love to write songs but i mean i if you look at my behavior over the last year like i don't i don't have a resounding passion for writing songs because i didn't write that many this year you know but i love refining and revising a song like i love that part of it i love collaborating with people on like we have this scene we need to make this line funnier 
that is actually that it's interesting. Like the sort of collision of creative interests, that is kind of like my passion, but it doesn't. Everybody hates revising. You're that's like a unique talent that you have. Yeah. I turned into a person that liked revising when we did um, Thrones, the musical parody where we, we legitimately had, 75 final draft re- revisions of that because we were revising it every time every new season would come out. Right. Uh, and by the way, that's also a situation where um, Ashley Ward, who directed Teaching wow. a Robot, who is amazing, also an incredible singer. Um, I, at one point for a scene, we needed to write a song for her and I had to have her come over so I could be like, I need to know exactly like what your good range is mm-hmm. because I'm kind of guessing and when I'm singing, when I'm writing a song for me or any cis uh, or any guy, really, like yeah. I'm vocalizing in a way that's like, this note sounds great. And then I would give it to her and she'd be like, this is too low, like, or this is too yeah. high, or it's in a weird part of her break, that kind of stuff. Um, anyway, yeah. that just reminded me of what you said before. Yeah, that's, that's actually really, that was something I hadn't really experienced before because I wrote all of the songs in our musical just you know, for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. And then we were like, okay, we got to change some stuff when we brought it live. Because it was like, <laughs> right. There's a lot of key changing. And fortunately there are people more talented than me on that team that could do that. <laughs> uh, I mean, Aaron can do all, I mean, Aaron's Aaron can do brilliant. anything, yeah. literally anything. And that's beautiful. Uh, does, does Tartle have a life going forward? Do you? Yeah. I mean, I've been submitting it to tons of stuff. Um, it's just right now it's a matter of, I'm going to try to do some stuff that next year that isn't losing me money, which is <laughs> hard right. in musical theater. I don't know if you know it's that. Hard the, it's hard in theater. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is, it's new. It's a new world for me. You know, I've, I've spent a lot of time in a two piece band, which is where we run our own sound and we can, you know, um, so that was less expensive. Um, but yeah, no, that's, it's it's I've been submitting it to some stuff. I really want it to be either in Edinburgh or New York next year. Mm-hmm. And that's a choice I have to make basically in the next few weeks. Um, Cause Edinburgh stuff is, is closing up. Um, and then, uh, and then, yeah, we want to get it licensed. Like my goal with that show is to get it to places where it can go and be in schools and be on stages. Where mm-hmm. It's a show that is written to have, you know, one to four trans principles, mm-hmm. you know, and that's something that's very cool to me. Yeah, so. that's really cool. Um, uh, my advice to you as a as a theater maker mm-hmm. is uh, when you worry about losing money, just stop paying attention to how much you're spending. So <laughs> when I produced the Edinburgh Fringe, after a certain point, because the Edinburgh Fringe, two weeks in, they're like, hey, we ran out of flyers. We need to print a whole bunch more. You just do it and you don't, you don't think to yourself, like, you know, that was, it was, it, it, this year was kind of a perfect storm of, I had to move out of my entire life. And then I lost kind of the job that I had. And then I decided to produce a musical. So I kind (laughs) I need to get back in, if not out of the red, then, you know, closer to, you know, life, um, before, uh, before I can, uh, you know, throw away another 20,000 of my own money on a musical. But yeah. I'm sure uh, once I would like to get to the point where at least I'm like, okay, I'm going to have a place to live if I just throw all a bunch of money. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, well, Laser, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh my God. This was such a delight. This I, is awesome. Listen, I don't think this podcast needs a theme, but I do want to know how to change a headlight. 
<laughs> well, I just did it in my Kia Soul, and okay. it was way easier than I thought Kia it would be. Kia Soul is the coolest car. Yeah, I love it. Uh, we're going to ride our Kia Soul into the ground, basically. <laughs> I uh, I love I love a Kia Soul. My, my sister's husband, whenever they ride their Kia Soul behind another Kia Soul, goes, it's a soul train, and I think that's <laughs> the greatest little joke. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the show. Absolutely. Teaching a robot to love a musical created by our guest, Laser the Boy, won seven Broadway World Los Angeles Awards in 2022, including Best Musical, Best Ensemble Performance, Best Theater for Young Audiences Production, Best Direction of a Musical by Ashley Ward, Best Music Direction and Orchestra Performance by Aaron Wilson, Best Costume Design of a Play or Musical by Atelier Abin, and... Best Choreography of a Play or Musical by my husband, the extremely talented and handsome Eric Michaud. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Laser the Boy has a new album out, the debut EP by Laser the Boy. It's called Overreacting. You can find that at lasertheboy.com. It is terrific. And um, I'm going to play at the very end of today's show... Uh, a new song that Laser released called The Way You Look At Me, which is delightful. There's a delightful video that goes along with it on YouTube. It's got a kind of a, I don't know what you call this. It, there's this thing that happens in Motown songs, like right in the middle. Um, <laughs> of course, I know I have background music underneath me playing right now, so it's going to be hard for me to do this. But um, wait, let me turn the music down. Basically, the go, in the middle of a Motown song, it goes, dung, dun, dun, delay, dun, 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 delay. <laughs> you know what? Sample that um, for your own. You know what? We don't need the music back in because now we're going to do the ramble. <laughs> I know that is like not good, but I enjoy it somehow. You know what's crazy is every time I do one of these things, I want to say, well, not a whole lot going on. Uh, in the last week, but I actually did like four stand-up shows this week. I went down to San Diego, did a fun show at the mic drop uh, on Friday of last week. Uh, another situation where um, uh, I did something that was a little unusual. Um, I'll probably post it at some point on my socials. Definitely we'll post it at club.chrisgrace.com. Please come join us there. Um, but it's funny because this past year I've been doing like stand-up where I do you know, seven minutes, eight minutes of material. And then I've been doing sort of, I guess, alternative indie kind of things where I, you know, for Laugh After Dark in Las Vegas, I did a, a very different set that I sort of wrote for that night. It was really the only time I'm probably ever going to do that thing. Um, for uh, like different situations I'm doing, or I might based on something that happened in the venue or happened right before the whole thing might be very different. Um, this Friday set in San Diego, I was going to just do a regular set. I think I sort of had it in my mind. It was basically um, a post Valentine's day show. And I was thinking like, what can I do sort of related to that? Mary Upchurch, who's a great comic that I know from Las Vegas. She, was producing the show and she said, Hey, does anybody want to use this Cupid outfit that I got? 
And I thought, oh, you know what be funny is if I go up without a shirt or pants, just like underwear with a Cupid outfit on, that'll be funny. And, you know, that'll buy me three minutes of whatever, right? Uh, I know people like... Uh, the People think it's funny when I don't have clothes on. <laughs> um, I, I don't... I love my body, but, but it is inherently comedic to a lot of people. Uh, so, but then I get there and she, she comes to the venue and she actually forgot the Cupid outfit. And so I kind of thought, oh, well, I had this, I was kind of looking forward to wearing it. And so I decided to do a whole set without the Cupid, without my shirt and also without the Cupid outfit. And I sort of, um, used that to sort of start the set off. And I thought it was, it worked like it worked really well. Um, and then it's it's actually yeah like I was gonna say like not much happened this week I did a stand up set Friday Saturday and Sunday, um, and then Sunday I did a set at uh, my friend Rebecca Johnson has a new show at the Lyric Hyperion called the Retreat that was a very fun show also a little bit of like uh, indie vibe to come up with stuff um, I have two points I want to make with this I swear I will get to them so the first point is that um, Saturday night. I did not have a great set. Uh, Saturday night, I did a set um, at a club. Great club. Nothing wrong with the club. It was one of these situations where the me and the other comics around me in the lineup were all like, ah, man, this uh, audience, you know, sometimes audiences are just, like, not that great, right? Um, and, uh, but, you know, you do your best or whatever. And in my mind, I've been crossing paths with these comics from New York at festivals and even out here in LA. And in my mind, I've been thinking, I've been sort of formulating this theory that like a lot of New York uh, comedians have this sort of musculature to their joke writing and their delivery that they can kind of, if they need to go to like a fifth gear and sort of just the almost bombard the audience with well-written jokes. So it's like, Oh, you feel a little bit um, like you're leaning back a little bit from this comedy set. Okay. I'm about to hit you with eight extremely sharp jokes in a row. And there was a comic on after me, his name's Joe Priano, um, who's really, really good. He does the seller in Las Vegas and the seller in New York city. Um, he is a New York, I would consider him a New York city comic. And he completely transformed the tone of the room with his set. Um, and I watched him and I was like, he is at the level of confidence and execution where you could feel the audience like buy in in a way. And it not only, first of all, blew the water out of like our feelings of like, eh, it's just a so-so audience, you know, you, there's nothing you can do. It's like, oh yeah, there's definitely something you can do. And that's just be at a, a higher level. But on top of that, he transformed the room for the three comics after him because the three comics after him did really great. They were great as well, but they had the benefit of this crowd that had been like unified into a really good crowd by seeing a really good set. And so that was something that was, that was really interesting to me. Um, I had a good set at that show, but not a great one. And I, I do sort of, I, my hope is that that a set like that for me is like my floor and that that's what I consider like not a great set. But I also want to be able to get to that point where I can take an audience like that and just 
uh, not bully them into submission, but <laughs> kind of like overwhelm them with craft, I guess, something like that. Um, and then the other thing I want to say about it was we were watching Parks and Rec. Uh, Eric and I have been watching some Parks and Rec, which he's never seen. And Leslie Nope had this whole speech about she had this great idea with the Harvest Festival, and then she has to come up with another idea, and she can't think of one. And she feels this burden of coming up with like a great idea, and then what do you do after you have a great idea? Like, what do you do next? Because, you know, this feeling of expectation, this is like a question I want to ask Lin-Manuel if I ever get him on this podcast is how do you even approach creating something after you've done Hamilton, you know, or, you know, specifically, how do you do another stage musical after you've done Hamilton? Um, But I, because I've been feeling that uh, over the last six months or so, because I've been doing these sort of like creative things that like tend they tend to work out like um i tend to have like okay here's a concept let me do a show at the at the crow that's about um mental health and um i'm going to um and it's about apps and technology and so i'm going to have part of the set written by ai and it worked out great you know um but every time now i do feel this sort of like this i have this creeping fear of like oh i have to do that again not to say that any of these are as great as hamilton right but i am experiencing a a fair amount of success in terms of hey i've got an idea i'm gonna write it and i think it's gonna work and then it's been working you know and i'm writing my show for edinburgh fringe right now and it sort of functions kind of like that y'all it's one of these things that's like I'm writing it and I think, I think this will work. I think it's funny. I think I would think this is funny. Of course, I have no other compass besides that. But I do also have this little creeping fear of just like, eventually one of these is going to tank. <laughs> and, you know, I do like to sort of, I, I do like to think of myself as someone who doesn't care about these things. And I think there's some truth to that, you know, with the stuff that's happened in my life. Like, I, in a certain level, I don't care about success or failure. You know, to a certain degree. But there is also a part of me that does care. (laughs) I'm a paradox. Um, So, anyway, that's what's been happening in my life. Oh, by the way, meanwhile, my very extremely talented husband, Eric, uh, directed a musical at the Los Angeles Auxiliary Assistance League. Uh, He directed Cinderella. I saw that today. It was terrific. Uh, It's for kids. Uh, You know what? If you're in Los Angeles and you want to come see it, they do have some public performances. Uh, send me an email. I'll get you the details. Podcast at ChrisGrace.com or join the community at club.chrisgrace.com. Um, I really do want to like talk to people on there. So come in there and say hello. Okay, that'll do it for this week. Uh, I'm going to, in lieu of the end credits, play you the new song, The Way You Look At Me by Laser the Boy from his debut EP, Overreacting. Uh, Today's episode was produced by me. It was edited by the award-winning choreographer, Eric Michaud. Uh, You can send us emails at podcast at chrisgrace.com and join the community at club.chrisgrace.com. And uh, enjoy the song, and you'll be hearing from me very soon.